you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. We're going to get the latest on the Omicron variant of COVID-19 with UC Irvine School of Medicine professor Dr. Shruti Gohill. She's also Associate Medical Director for Epidemiology and Infection Prevention. Dr. Gohill, a very good Friday to you. Great to have you back with us. Great to be back. There's so much, of course, we don't know about Omicron, much more we don't know than we do at this point, but just your, your thoughts of where we stand with it right now. Well, um, definitely uh, of concern. Uh, We have now a mutant that is uh, looking quite different from the Delta virus and other strains that we have seen so far. So 30 different mutations in the spike protein, which is, as many of you may know, the primary uh, protein that uh, latches on to our respiratory tract. And so that certainly gives us concern. The other, um, you know, what we look for as epidemiologists is, Mm Uh, the change in case rates within a population, the rate of that growth. And if you look at the curves that are being drawn for the South African population, uh, which actually through either natural uh, immunity or through um, through uh, vaccination, totals about uh, you know, almost 70% of its population having had seen some type of COVID virus in its past, uh, you see the steep rise despite uh, despite that, um, and it was a, I think it was a more than a fivefold increase within a couple of weeks of this new variant. So that's those are the kinds of signals that really do indicate that we have a potentially more expo- you know, infectious virus. Um, the data coming out of South Africa and. Uh, what we're learning so far about this potentially milder version, more infectious but milder version of the virus, um, you know, has to be tempered with the fact that the South African population itself is uh, younger, um, and uh, and we're not we're really not sure how this will play out in other uh, you know, countries and other populations like ours. And do we have much information yet on how the Omicron variant affects unvaccinated people? Because, you know, we're hearing, um, you know, typically here in the U.S., the people who have been traveling and been identified with Omicron were fully vaccinated, even boosted. Yeah, I think that's the, that's really definitely a key question here is that you know, in the unvaccinated, how is this virus playing out? It does seem to be that you know unvaccinated people will have more severe disease. That's that's just clear. Um, even in in the South African population, those unvaccinated uh, people are coming in with severe enough illness, um, but 
on the whole, it appears that because the younger population is being in, uh, infected, it may splay out as though these are more mild cases. But again, uh, here in the U.S., we still maintain a pretty the sizable amount of the people who are getting sick um, really are the unvaccinated. And kind of harkens to your uh, to maybe something that you're alluding to, Larry, which is, you know, uh, what is the role of the vaccine here? Um, and, uh, you know, it, we would assume that there'd be some kind of cross-reactive antibody. It's not going to be the 90% um, antibody uh, efficacy that we saw against the original strains. Um, so each time you have a new mutant, you're going to cut your vaccine efficacy, sure. Um, but it's we don't think it'll be zero effect either. Mm-hmm. So we're really curious how this is going to hash out. Let me ask you a, a personal question. For you, is this going to change any of your practices, you know, getting together with people or being out in the world at all? Yeah, you know, um, so, you know, it, it really hashes out to how, you know, what are the activities? Well, who are the people that I'm going to engage with? Are they immunocompromised? Are they vaccinated or unvaccinated? So the you risk, know, the the risk same... management uh, right. sort of equation. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, we've been at this for a while and I, I really do feel um, like you know, everyone is fatigued, of course, with this, it's just going dragging on and on. And now here we are with another season of the holidays and uh, asking our, our public to, to, okay, you know, hunker down again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's wise still. I do think it's wise. Um, I do think that if you are vaccinated, you do have to have a different risk um, calibration than if you're unvaccinated. I think those who are unvaccinated should be um, really thinking hard about their travel and really thinking hard about who they're going to expose. But everybody should still be masking and distancing um, and uh, but trying to get on with with life as as you can in the safest way that you can. I still think we've we've got significant numbers of people who aren't getting vaccinated, who are younger, uh, healthier, and and have the feeling, well, if I get it, I get it, and I'll I'll deal with it like I would any other illness. But I'm not going to have to go to the hospital. I I don't have any sort of underlying conditions. I'm not immunocompromised. I still get the sense there are a lot of people who, for them, they're saying, I, I, it's not worth it for me to go through the side effects and and the unknowns about the, the vaccine. So I'm just going to, you know, live with it if I get it. What, what's your response to people who make that conclusion? Yeah, I agree that that is out there still. And, you know, two couple of things. First of all, you may be fine, but the people around you and, and the numerous people that you may meet along the natural course of your days um, are, are going to be, but you don't know their status about immunocompromise and, and other risk factors. So doing your part really does mean something, number one, but it also means that, you know, uh, whatever we do to increase our vaccination rate will help us get through this pandemic. I think that message needs to be loud and clear, even though, say, you think that you're going to have mild disease. Um, you know, the thinking that we all need, it, it will impact you, that this pandemic is dragging on. <laughs> yeah. So do your part. Um, and then finally, it is a misconception. Uh, you know, I just got off of the inpatient uh, wards and I, I remain humbled. Um, first of all, everyone that I was meeting uh, that had COVID and severe COVID were unvaccinated, just everyone. 
Uh, and, and yes, young and healthy, you know, we have, we have, we've had patients that are, you know, in their twenties and their thirties, um, with no known comorbid conditions Mm -hmm. with lungs that look like Swiss cheese. So yes, the rates are lower in younger people for severe disease. True. However, boy, I couldn't tell you from those that I have in my mind right now, I couldn't tell you what their risk factor was and they are severely ill slash dying. So this this is a really important point, I, I think, for health professionals to make, the one you're just making, that even though the odds that you as a healthy young person are going to be hospitalized with COVID-19 are small, the stakes are very high if you're one of that small group of people who, despite being young and healthy, ends up being physically damaged by this. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, and let's not forget the long COVID. Uh, I think people who have had even mild disease are, you know, we have a clinic, many, many facilities have clinics for long haulers, so to speak. And people are reporting these pretty chronic, foggy mental health conditions or, um, you know, fatigue. And they're just not able to get back to who they were and how they were before the COVID virus hit them, even even in those who had moderate disease or mild at-home disease. We're talking with UC Irvine's Dr. Shruti Gohill, professor of medicine at UCI Medical. I welcome your calls for her at 866-893-KPECC. You can also ask your question of Dr. Gohill by emailing us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Please include your first name and your location with your question for Dr. Gohill. Uh, Scientists in South Africa uh, have reported um, sharp rise this past month in coronavirus cases among people who had already been infected. Now, this is a study that has not yet been peered review. It's not even been published in a journal. Um, but in South Africa, they didn't see that rise, apparently, in beta or delta variants there. Um so, again, this is the question of natural immunity for people who've been infected with COVID-19. Again, with a caveat, this has not been peer-reviewed. But when you look at that, Dr. Gohill, does that raise the level of concern that if if that does hold up among people who've had COVID-19, that there's little protection? Could that extend to the vaccines? It, well, that's a question. Yeah, it could, and that is per, you know, that is precisely why I think the booster um, boosters are being raised as a as a line of defense. This is something we didn't have the first time around when Alpha arrived and all the other strains arrived. We were still getting our vaccines up and running. <clears throat> the idea here is, uh, yeah, um, first of all, if you've had prior COVID, this virus looks different enough to where you're at risk for uh, this new one. And yeah, if you've had the vaccine, uh, we you know, the studies are really just pending. We really just need to see the neutralization um, studies that are ongoing actively right now. Um, I will say that the cross-reactivity, this is a known phenomenon that, um, for example, influenza year on year, when we give vaccines every year, you your body does remember the prior vaccines that it has it had against the different other strange, strains that were there. And so um, you do have a, sort of a repertoire of of 
antibodies, um, and some of those are expected to work against forms of the virus that might look a little different. Uh, but what we're looking for right now, of course, is is okay. Well, how you know how well does it bind to this new virus? So again, it won't. I don't think it'll be zero percent protection for those who have had the vaccine. Um, we think it'll still help. We just don't know how much. Uh, and even if it's low, okay, fine. Let's accept that. Um, that it might be a lower efficacy of this vaccine against this particular mutant. Let's boost up the soldiers that are at the ready at, uh, for uh, for you um, in your in your uh, system. If you were to encounter uh, Omicron, that's the thinking right now. Is at least yeah. you can get your antibodies up. Yeah. Well, and and wouldn't you rather have some degree of protection than go in completely unprotected right. and exposed to to Omicron? And then this raises the question, of course, of re-engineering the mRNA vaccines that are approved from Pfizer and Moderna in this country, so that they are specifically tailored for Omicron and and the spike proteins. Um, the FDA saying that it's aiming for a quick review once those companies come back with their studies on their re-engineered vaccine. What do you think is a realistic timetable if it's determined the current vaccines are wanting for ability to cover Omicron? How long are we going to have to wait for a better uh, match for this this variant? Oh, I think that a lot of the... Um the principles have been well uh, vetted and, and ironed out, so that should shave off a fair amount of time. And then the re-engineering or regrouping of the um, uh, structure that is needed for this, um, for the for the uh, the mutant itself, uh, that should be you know sort of easy as well. Um, uh, easy, I mean, you know, within within a couple of months. Uh, and the, the issue is always uh, manufacturing and then upscaling and getting all this stuff out there. So then, so you know, from from the drug companies to your um, to your arm. I mean, that that I still think there will be a fair uh, turnaround on that. You know, I I would think that if something like this was needed, it would take at least five months or six months, really. But um, who, who can say? Uh, we have uh, Stephen LaCunata, who tweeted at AirTalk, Omicron's apparently been circulating for a while, but less seen in developed countries, possibly because of high levels of vaccinations. Does that possibly indicate it won't outcompete Delta, especially in highly vaccinated countries? Ooh, um, good question. You know, based on that, <laughs> on those curves from South Africa, I I. I, I would not I would not take that for granted. I think it could overtake the previous strains. All right. Uh, and then, of course, the big question is, what symptoms does it produce in those who get sick? And is is it significantly different, uh, more devastating Ooh. than we've seen with the Delta variant? And let's hope not. But it doesn't seem early on we have an indication that it is more deadly, do we? Right. So far, it doesn't look like the severity of illness is um, as high as Delta. But again, too early to say. Um, it really is just too early to say. Okay. The the one thing I will note is that, you know, the classical symptoms that uh, the first few variants had with the loss of smell and um, some of the other um, sort of severe uh, severe fatigue; uh, those seem to be less prominent this time around, and this seems to be um, more of a, a milder uh, illness, or or maybe more subtle somehow, uh, such that people uh, are delayed to get tested. Um, uh, and so, but that 
that is kind of dangerous too because <laughs> it allows it right to circulate population. Um, one of the things I think you know many of us are wondering about is if cases rise appreciably with the Omicron variant, how are hospitals going to deal with this, particularly with the staffing shortages that so many are facing as, as we've seen an exodus of people from the healthcare profession? Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, planning is, is in order here. Um, you know, it, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we did, uh, you know, the contingency plans that we had in place before we remain, I think, as many hospitals, uh, you know, we do have capacity at this time, you know, we're in a lower state, um, you know, we, depending on how things look, you know, for South Africa, for example, it's, uh, interestingly, the hospitals are not overrun, um, with, uh, severe enough cases, um, that, that their hospitals were just completely, you know, devastated are not, not going to take that for granted. We still need more information. Um, but, but we hope that, uh, now with between vaccination, some type of immunity out there and the, um, uh, oral pills that are available that appear to have some efficacy, uh, we don't know against a micron, but certainly does appear to be, uh, likely that it will, it will have some antiviral effect. Um, coupled with uh, antibody therapies, there's there's at least one. There are some we cannot use, absolutely cannot use, the, like that we had used the first time around, but at least one that, that looks like it's okay, uh, that might be okay for Om- Omicron. So we're in a different place than we were um, in the beginning of this pandemic. So I think that between all of those things and our well-oiled systems, um, that, uh, you know, runs down, rings down to uh, plan B, D, and C. I think we'll be okay. But yes, we might get to a place that um, we're going to have to require um, assistance from uh, from the government. Sean in Whittier wonders whether viral vector COVID vaccines might be more effective against Omicron as opposed to mRNA ones. Oh, uh, you know, I think, <laughs> yes, Um I think part of the viral vector um, issue, the, and, and the reason that I think the caller is bringing this up is a good one, which is that if you create a, a virus that looks more whole to the immune system rather than um, cherry picking just the spike protein, highly targeted mRNA vaccines, then you can stimulate the immune system to make uh, multiple different types of antibodies. And yeah, I think that um, it, that's reasonable immunological thinking, actually. And when the initial vaccines had come out, you, you'll notice that there are so many different kinds. And uh, and it was um, something that people wanted, a viral vector. It's just that the efficacy on these mRNA, as measured by antibodies, uh, really just surpassed the other viral vector vectors that we have so far. Richard in Huntington Beach emailed us to ask, do the spike deletions in the Omicron variant have anything to do with the symptoms people have or its infectiousness? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I, I think that's exactly uh, spot on. Um, the In terms of the infectiousness, yes, we think that... Uh, some uh, some of the mutations may have lended its ability to a evade the immune system b uh, allow for its transmission undetected um, it, you know to other to others and so we do definitely think that the spike protein's um, ability to latch on and uh, be more infectious was affected uh, the other part of this question was the symptoms um, yes uh, because of the way that the virus actually latches onto your sy- system 
Uh, yeah, I think it, uh, because of the multiple mutations, the, the way in which it manifests in the human body has also changed but somewhat. And that's the million-dollar question. Mild or severe also will um, be affected by these changes. We don't know which direction it's going to go. Linda in Santa Monica emailed us, I'm 66. My developmentally disabled daughter is 29. We're both double-vaxxed and boosted. We planned on going to Disneyland to see the holiday decorations. Is it safe to go? Oh, gee, you know, um, listen, right now, yeah, so I'm not hearing immunocompromising here. Um, you know, if there's a way to get uh, boosted, whoever is needs to get boosted, go get boosted. They're both and, boosted, she said. Oh, both boosted. Yeah, okay, both yeah, boosted. yeah. Then I would think that it's okay. Go ahead with your, um, you know, highly vigilant masking and uh, hand washing. You would think is okay. I still would worry about if there's somebody who has developmental delay, their ability to maintain their masking and maintain their hand hygiene might be compromised. You just have to be hyper vigilant. Um, and Disneyland has done a, a pretty good job of um, of uh, you know incorporating the right um, protocols. All right. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Gohill, for being with us again on Air Talk. Have a wonderful weekend, and I always look forward to talking with you next time. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.